as we've already mentioned, Memorial Day is tomorrow. And uh, you may or may not know that Memorial Day has its roots all the way back to the Civil War. Um, there's, there's some argument over the exact location of where it started. There are settlers, about a dozen uh, different communities that, that claim it as the, the uh, original place. It was originally called Decoration Day. Uh, but it's been around for quite a while. And it's a day set aside to remember those who have died, those who have given their lives to purchase our freedom. Or perhaps its purpose is actually that we do not forget. Flip side of the same coin, maybe, maybe not. Because we are a people that are prone to forget. That's why we have Memorial Day, to remember. Now, me, I'm an out of sight, out of mind kind of guy. If, uh, if I don't have some, something jog my memory, chances are I am not going to remember. I have, I have Google Calendar just loaded with things to help me remember. I have a terrible memory for important things, a great memory for very unimportant things. And I sometimes can be very good at trivia, which helps you none at all. Um, but it's hard. Just last Tuesday, I was driving home from work. I had stopped uh, to pick up Silas. You know, on Tuesdays, he goes to a city. And, and I was driving by a park, and I thought to myself, I have no place to be. Let's stop at the park. Now, as you can see, we stopped and took some pictures. Now, my, uh, my phone is on vibrate, and since I was standing, apparently the pocket was loose, and it wasn't receiving the calls that were trying to let me know that I did have somewhere to be. Brennan has a Bible study every Tuesday, and uh, for the last month or so, I have been his primary ride to that Bible study, and I have completely forgotten, and I just used that as an excuse to put a picture of my son up on the board. <laughs> but it illustrates the fact that we are prone to forget. We're prone to forget. Society has set up tools to help us remember. We have signs and billboards. We have Facebook timeline even now is, is set up so we can put things in order. Then we scrapbook, we journal, uh, calendars. We used to have strings on our fingers. Well, I don't know anyone does that anymore, but we all try to remember. Smartphones are even trying to eliminate the need to even remember. As long as you can remember how to set it up. And, and get it going, uh, they want to eliminate that. But we have this natural bent towards forgetting. We've probably forgotten tons more than we know. And God, in His grace, knows it. He's known it from the beginning. In, uh, in the Old Testament law, when, when God was preparing His people to go into the Promised Land, he built in remembrances. Uh, he built in symbolic things for them to, uh, to remember that he was God. And it sounds like a silly thing. Remember, remember, he is God. It seems like something we should remember, but we all actually tend to forget. If you trace Israel's history, if you, you look at the history of their lives, you begin to see all kinds of reminders. And because in God's eyes, it's very important that we remember that he is our God and we are his people. Equally important is that we don't forget that He is our God and we are His people. This is what He desires. And in His grace, He's provided tools in the Old Testament law to help His people remember. The Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament law, are, are filled in over and over again because before the law was given, 
Israel demonstrated a great need for reminders. If you remember, when God brought them out of Egypt, the Exodus, it wasn't but a few days later. They were in the desert and they were complaining. We have no water to drink. So God brings water from a rock. Later on, they're complaining. They're, they're tired of manna and they're sick of manna. So God, in His graciousness, sends them quail. They complained at one point that they'd rather be in Egypt and they listed off all these vegetables and variety of foods they had, forgetting completely the shackles of slavery that were connected to those and the graciousness of God compared to their Egyptian foreman. They were so willing to walk away. But even while Moses was on top of Mount Sinai receiving the law from God, the Israelites got tired of waiting and they all donated the gold jewelry and they made a golden calf to worship a pitiful lame excuse for God and then they partied until Moses came down and crashed the party. So in the law, the Lord graciously placed reminders. He graciously put things in there to, to remind them and to remember all that he had done. And even though we don't practice those particular uh, rituals and reminders, we're going to look at those this morning and, and we need to be reminded that God desires to be remembered in all of their lives as well. He does not want to be forgotten. So if you have your Bibles, open your Bibles. If you've got your app, open your app to Deuteronomy 6, or you can follow along on the wall. Now Deuteronomy is the second giving of the law. And uh, it, was, it was just before entering the promised land. Alright? The end of Deuteronomy, Moses dies. And, and Joshua takes over and, and they head on into the promised land. So this is, the promised land is near. This is near the end of the 40 years. And you see God's concern, by the way, His purpose. Verse 1, chapter 6. Now this is the commandment. The statues and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land which you are going over to possess it. God, right away, wants them to know that he knows they're going to forget. He wants them to know that he wants to be remembered. Now, the meaning of this passage is Moses. Moses is, is, is relaying this to the people, and right away, you know, he's saying, when you get to the promise, and God desires to be remembered. And later on, he gives them what is known as the Shema, a few verses later, verses 4 through 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Starts with a reminder that there is one God. Maybe you recognize that from the Ten Commandments. The first commandment was there should be no other gods before me. So that same idea is right here. And in that, that verse 5, you're going to recognize from Jesus' words, where Jesus was asked, what are the greatest commandments? And he said, the, oh, what's the greatest commandment? He said, said the love the Lord your God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And, and quotes right from Deuteronomy 6, verse 5. So, so right away, God wants we remember them, we see that God wants all of us. He wants us to belong to Him and to Him alone. He wants all of you. See, God is a jealous God. And jealousy, jealousy has such a negative connotation to them because it's used in such a negative way. Rarely do we have pure jealousy. God's jealousy is a pure jealousy because it's, it's, uh, it's based in His desire for what's best for us. 
God wants to be number one in your life because he knows that anything else is number one in your life will lead you to destruction. So his jealousy is based on what's best for you. God desires you. He wants you because he knows what's best for you. Anything else, even good things, in that number one spot in your life will lead you away. Will lead you to destruction, whether it's family, whether it's community service, whether it's your job, even if it's your children, or, or even negative things. You know, we can go into that list. God has to be number one. If God is not number one, you're going to be there, and, and you're going to have idols in your life, and it's going to take you astray. So God's jealousy is for you. He desires you. He wants that number one position because He wants to be on our hearts, ingrained in our hearts, every part of our fiber, every part of our being, He wants us to remember Him, to not forget. But it's not only that we won't forget, it's that we'll pass on our legacy of faith to our family. He follows that up in verse 7. You shall teach them diligently to your children, talking about the laws and commandments and statutes, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as fretless between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on the gates. See, God not only wants to be remembered, He wants to be in our minds, in our conversation, uh, consistently. He used the word diligently there. Teach them diligently to your kids. And God wants to be foremost with our family. He wants us to pass this on. Look at the words in verse 7. When you sit, when you walk along the way, when you lie down, when you rise. That, that covers most of our activity. You know? Uh, what do we do there in the way? We, we rise, we get up, we, uh, we travel. We don't necessarily walk where we're going, but we, we commute. We sit down and do, do our work if you're a state worker. That's, you know, um, <laughs> there's irony in that, I know. And uh, when you lie down, when you lie down your night. So, so the whole day is covered. When God wants to be uh, talked about with our kids, whenever you're together with your family, He wants to be uh, a large part of that conversation. He wants to be on your lips and on your mind constantly because He loves you and He desires you and He desires all of you, parents, remember the Lord with your children. At the dinner table, as you commute, when you lay down for bed, when you rise up, look for opportunities to teach your kids, build those into your life, so that they don't get lost in the meaninglessness of what the world pursues. They don't get lost into the rat race uh, when, when they graduate from, from college, when they, when they go out on their own, that they are, are the Lord's. Make that your number one priority. You know, when Karen and Billy were little, we had a bedtime routine that we would call Bible time. And, and every night I would go and I'd tuck them in and read a, a, a preschool Bible story. We'd say a prayer and tuck them in. And, and uh, when we moved back to the area in 2006, we kind of got knocked off that routine. And, and uh, we would even, even call it a little period of forget where, where we stopped doing that. And I was talking to Kira uh, a few years ago. And we were just talking about favorite memories, and she mentioned that Bible time was, was one of those things. We want to invest in our kids, and I, I love that because that was so important. You know, today, our family attempts to discuss it around the dinner table uh, when we can get a family dinner. We're looking for ways to format. We, we've drawn from the jar, we've read from passages, we've drawn uh, discussion subjects out of the jar, but we look for ways to build that in. My wife, Chris, is, is very natural 
at, at bringing up conversation and directing it. So parents, work together. Bring up issues for your kids so that they, they, they discuss what it means to walk in the room before they have to face those choices at school, before they have to face those choices in life, so they know right away what's going on and that they have a roadmap in the world. You know, I was reading this, this passage earlier this year, and I realized that I take Billy to school four days a week, and we have 15, 20 minutes every day in the car. And, and usually, uh, we, we sit there now. Um, there's a difference between Benny and Kira. Benny talks in the morning. Kira does not. And, and she's smiling because she knows. I didn't tell her I was going to say that, but it's just true. I would never attempt this with Kira because it would not work. Uh, but Brennan, Brennan functions when he rides with me to school. <laughs> and uh, so, uh, so Brennan and I started reading, uh, well, school's over now, but we started reading just a passage of scripture, uh, not every day, a couple days a week. Some days he's too tired. There are days he's too tired. But, but a couple days a week, we'll just read a passage and we'll talk about it. We just look for ways, parents look for ways to, to bring it in. And you know what? It's going to be unnatural sometimes, and it's going to be awkward. Um, especially if you haven't done it. And, but don't let that stop you. Get past the awkwardness. Agree with your child. I know this is awkward, but this is what we need to be doing. And it's good. So let's do it. I love you, you love me. We can be awkward together. That's called family. Right? <laughs> right? Being awkward together, that is called family. And we're still together, even though we're awkward. Alright, there's my little awkward spiel. That's, well, it's okay to be awkward. And we're family here in church. If you're awkward, we love you still. Now, it's so important that we pass this on. But this applies to our, our work as well. You know, I, I, I struggle with sharing my faith at work, with, with talking about my faith at work, because for years, you know, I, I was in a, I was a youth minister for 10 years, and I preached for 5 years, and I always, I always proclaim, you know, bloom where you're planted. Bloom where you planted. Wherever God puts you, you know, you bloom where you do your best and you share. And so when, when I, when I when came back from Chicago and, and I was burned out and I took a job, I kind of took a job with the idea, I'm going to be back in full-time ministry soon. And I just kind of saw it as a, a transition. And I kind of put my mind on, on neutral. Uh, you know, God has kind of convicted me of that. And I realized that I, I need to start sharing my thoughts, that, that if, if um, I need to have the Lord in my words and my actions, even at work, you know, I'm not going to go and preach, and I'm not going to pound anything, uh, but my coworkers realized preaching this week, and one of them, I was really excited, uh, she's, she would claim she's Catholic, but she would also tell you quickly she never attends Mass. So, so she, uh, she knows how she wants, but she wants to hear my sermon. So I'm like, you know, that's, that's exciting to me. Because I've struggled. You know, put me in a pulpit, I would talk about Jesus all day long. Put me in a, a group of peers at work, and I might say, Hi, oh, Jesus. I am come this little mouse. So I'm, I'm growing in, in that area. God, God obviously knew I needed to grow in that area. But, but we want to be walking with the Lord, make it natural, and talk about it. Now, now, some of the Jews took this literally, and I've got a picture. Sorry, we're going to tell you that we're for this. Um, I got a picture here. Uh, I, I looked at Google Images. You notice up at the top of his head, there's a box. It looks like a, a little top hat. Um, that is what's called a phylactery. And if you look on his left arm, 
you, you see those uh, straps wrapped around his arm, and it goes up and up on his bicep. There's another little black box. These are phylacteries. So some of the Jews took this literally. They thought if if we take and they took uh, this passage of scripture, this verses four through six, and they took like three other scriptures, wrote a little piece of paper, and they put them in the box, and they tied them on the arm and on the forehead to honor what God said about binding um, them as a sign on the hand and as furrows between your eyes. And, and so they're making a, a, a ritual. Uh, those are called, uh, as I said, phylacteries. I don't think they were meant to be literal because these are going to repeat almost verbatim in, in Exodus chapter 13 where, where God is giving instructions on the Feast of Unleavened Bread and also on the um, on consecration of the firstborn. So, so it, it's kind of like you know, pretty soon you're going to have a Bible stuck up there because there's so much that we're, we're each time it's mentioned. Um, but it's the idea... That God's word is to be constantly in the forefront, constantly in our minds, and constantly what we do. You know, what we do in our hands, what we think, the actions that we take, the words that we speak, they're not to be our own, but they're to be constantly brought into, into uh, submission to what God says. Um, and, and these words here, they're, they're just a, a picture of God's grace to us. God's giving us reminders. He's giving the, 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 uh, the people reminders. I want to be remembered. I don't want to be remembered in ritual. I want to be remembered in your heart. I want to be real. I'm, I'm personally thankful that we don't have to walk around with little boxes on our heads and boxes on our uh, biceps with with a wrap. Uh, it, it's not wrong to do. If you want to do this thing, you can remember. Feel free. All right? But, but that's not the point. The point is that God wants to be in our heart. And that God in His grace and His heroism wants to be remembered and not forgotten. Now verse 9 describes something that's called a mezuzah. And a mezuzah, as you say, it says, you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on the gates. They would take scriptures and put those in those little boxes and hang them on the doorposts. So every time they come in or out, they would, uh, they would touch them and they would utter, utter a prayer uh, on their way in and out. And, and why the doorposts? Well, obviously... You go in and out of your house probably more often than anything else during the day. It's a reminder that when I leave and when I stay, God is God. Right? Now, as I said, you want to go ahead and go ahead and push, that's fine. But what the point God wants is that you don't forget. Right? Is that you remember God in your daily life. And if you need something like that to remember do that. Or put on your smartphone. Make Siri a Christian and have her tell you remember Jesus today. Alright? Or, or, or something. Do, do something. Set up reminders for yourself if you need that. But remember God. Don't, don't just go on with your day and leave God behind. Now, verse 10 in chapter 6 of Deuteronomy goes on to, to explain why God desires to be remembered. And when the Lord your God brings you in the land that he swore your fathers to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob to give you with great and good cities that you did not build and houses full of all good things that you did not fill and cisterns that you did not dig and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant and when you eat and are full then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. You know, this passage reveals the ridiculousness of forgetting God's work in our life. 
If the Israelites they were entering into the promised land, they were essentially just going to take over cities that were set up to live in. Alright, pick your house. Who wants the vineyard? Who wants the, the olive grove? Um, well, the cisterns all set up, the water systems all ready to go. And they're just going in and taking over, but God says, take care, lest you forget. Because there's, there's an issue, because once we get comfortable, once we get comfortable and things get easy, things get difficult for faith. Comfort and ease aren't bad, but they can be tremendous enemies to faith. Because once comfort becomes our goal, faith easily learns in light of that. Because often faith and comfort don't live together. As a matter of fact, the Bible talks a lot about suffering for the Christian. And in America, we are blessed to live in, in uh, one of the greatest countries in the world, or the greatest country in the world. But when worship, comfort, our society worships comfort. And as Christians, we have to recognize that faith is so countercultural. And we can't be too judgmental of the Israelites because how many of you asked to be born in the richest country of the world? Or how would your faith be different if you were born in the slums of Calcutta or the bush of Kenya or the hills of Afghanistan? It's hard to remember God and easy to forget when you live under the lie that you're completely self-sufficient. It's hard to depend on God when you've got months worth of food stocked up in your, your, your pantry. Praise God that we do. It's not bad. But it is bad if you forget God. Comfort is not evil. But comfort that takes us away from God and we forget God and we think, look at all this that I built. Look at all this that I've attained. And all we are at that point is a fool. Take care lest you forget that's why sickness often brings revival. It's sad to say. That's why hard times often bring people back to the Lord because it's easy to forget God when we're comfortable. Sometimes we're led to sleep by life and we forget just how good God has been to us. Where we used to be, what we used to do, but we're called to live a life like Proverbs 3 where we're told not to lean on our own understanding but to trust in the Lord and let Him make our path straight. God is good. He desires to be remembered because He loves us. He desires not to be forgotten because He is so gracious to us and He cares about us and He desires us. He wants to be on the tip of our tongues. He wants to be the first thought from our heart. He wants us. And there's no real good reason why. 
And we cannot forget that. The point of all this is that God wants to be our God just like He wanted to be the God of the Israelites. He wanted them to remember in the promised land that He had given that to them. But as soon as they got in, they saw how wonderful it was and how comfortable it was. They forgot Him. If you trace... Uh, if you trace Israel's history, when the guy in the promised land, Joshua set up memorial stones when across the Jordan, twelve large stones, one for each tribe, so that they remember. But by the time the period of the judges hits, they they were being oppressed by outside people. Then they would cry out to the Lord, and God would graciously give them a judge to deliver them, and then they'd be left in the land. But then they would forget God, and they'd go to their land, they'd do what was right in their own eyes, and then the oppressor would come in, and it just repeats: oppressor. Cry out to God, judge, graciously deliver it, rest, forget, oppressor. And it just kept repeating and repeating in Judges. If you read the book of Judges, that's all it is, is that cycle. We are a people prone to forget. And unfortunately, we're not required to always wear a Jesus headband and a Christian t-shirt. We're not required to wear those at all. <laughs> and I'm thankful. <laughs> But we are required to remember what God has done. Our faith is not based on an outward world, but our faith is based on what Jesus has done in our lives. And when Jesus died on the cross, he put outward religion to death, and he set up a kingdom in the hearts of his believers. And instead of wearing little boxes on our heads and hands and hanging them on our doors, we've been given the opportunity to walk in a relationship with our God. We are freed from ritual and law because our God is Jesus. We love and serve Jesus, and there's no one and nothing more important than Him. He's easy to remember because of that relationship. He's easy to love because of what He's given to us if we will just give it any thought. It's true that we're prone to forget. It's true that, that, that we don't always remember that God is faithful. He's faithful in the covenant, and He sends us reminders daily, and we get to love Him back. How many of you do you have to have a reminder to love your wife? You don't, because she lives with you, she's there every day, and she's good. You love her because you get to love her. How many of you have to remember to love your kids or your grandkids? You don't have to remember. You get to love them, because you're in a relationship with them. You don't have to remember to love Jesus, you get to love Jesus because He loves you and because He's with you and He desires to be with you. And we know Jesus as the hinge of history. We know that, that on one side of the hinge is life and the other side of the hinge is death. And He loves us and He gives us the choice. He wants to flavor every part of our day, but we must not forget. We must remember every day of our choices who he is so that we can continue to pursue him as he pursues us God has been so gracious to us he has been so good to us we must not forget him we're going to close with a, a song come thou fount of every blessing and, and uh, I picked that song originally because it's not even in these words actually in the original version there's a line that says, Here I raise my Ebenezer. And I love that line, just I like the word Ebenezer. Um, but it has significance to what we're saying. An Ebenezer stone is a stone of memorial. 
a stone that was raised to remember something significant that had gone on in, uh, in, in that person's life and specifically in that person's faith. Something that God had done. So this morning, we sing that song and we, we sing, Come thou fall to every blessing, tune my heart to sing thy grace. We're asking God to just tune us into him. That we would not forget, that we would not wander. And this morning, if, if, you need to, if you need to proclaim Him as Lord of your life for the first time, then you are more than welcome to do that. To, to come forward and, and to, to confess your need for Him. Um, but if you've already confessed that, and you know you're prone to wander, you're prone to forget, then pray a little prayer and just say, Jesus, thank you for your patience with me. Thank you for your grace to me. That you don't zap me dead because I wander, because I forget. Because he's not a God like that. He's a loving God. We don't expect our children to, to have obedience right every time. We, we teach them and correct them and patiently walk with them. And we love them. I've even tried to tell our kids and say them, you're going to make mistakes. It's natural. You're human. You don't know all that you need to know. And even when you do know all that, you still will make mistakes. God wants you. If you can learn nothing else, God wants all of you. Let's stand and let's sing that together.